Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Wednesday. It's June 7th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll take your calls today, 1030 and 1115. The phone number, as always, 602-260-1060 to chime in. We have a game three of the NBA Finals tonight in Miami. We'll dive into that. Plus, the Phoenix Suns officially introduced their next head coach, Frank Vogel. So we'll have some reactions to all of that that took place yesterday. But as we typically do, let's set the scene with today's poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Who do you have in game three of the NBA Finals? Nuggets minus two and a half or Heat plus two and a half. And this is getting uh, more snug. We have Nuggets at 56% of the vote and the Heat trailing at 44%. Yeah, this game, the first number I saw was for this game was two, and then yeah, it went to two and a half pretty quickly, and that seems to be a universal number right now. I'm guessing that you know, people interested in maybe betting on the Heat are waiting to see if it goes to three. I'm also guessing that most bookmakers are reluctant to go to three, no matter what the volume and you know the uh, you know as far as the betting actually that you know the handle is. So I think that's kind of why we're right now seemingly steel made at two and a half. Oh, so we'll dive into that, answer it around 11.30 today, tossing it on over to Twitter at KDUS AM 1060, who wins the AL West, the defending World Series champion Astros, or the currently in first place Rangers. The Rangers out in front at 75% of the vote, Astros sitting at 25%. I'm curious, though, here uh, with the news about Jacob deGrom and Tommy John surgery, how much does that impact your answer? Yeah, that's uh, I wonder too. I mean, yesterday was the good news, bad news day uh, for the Rangers. Uh, you know, they win a game again. Yeah, actually, I was surprised that as good as they've been this year, they had not won more than you know they've won five straight down. That's their longest winning streak of the season so far. Just shows you how consistent they've been. I think their longest losing streak is like two. Uh, so it's just been amazing how good they have been so far. Uh, so, you know, obviously the fact that uh, they have that lead now, they actually have their biggest lead. They're up four against the Astros. That's the biggest margin they've had at any point uh, against uh, anybody else in the National League West, in the American League West, excuse me. And uh, so that was the good news. The bad news, is, of course, the DeGrom thing. And they, I, it, you know, once he went on the injured list last month, I think the, the thought, I mean, probably even before the season started, is can we just get this guy to somehow stay healthy until we get to the postseason? Because if he's healthy in the postseason, you know, there's, you know, that would be a tremendous boost to their chances. They already have Bruce Bochy as the manager now, and their starting rotation 
uh, other than DeGrom, has been rather, you know, very healthy, and they've got several guys that have had injury histories in the past before he, they ended up in, in Texas. So it, uh, it's long-winded by me, shockingly, uh, but uh, you know, that kind of gives you the, the uh, pros and cons of the Rangers situation at this point. Well, we'll certainly get into that uh, and answer the question around 11.30 today. Still time for you to cast your vote. We'll also dive into, uh, you know, maybe what we think is going to happen and some strategy for Game 3 of the NBA Finals a little bit later on in the show. But let's first start with the Suns introducing head coach Frank Vogel yesterday and some takeaways from the press conference. For me, uh, the takeaways started Right from Frank Vogel's opening statement before questions, it caught my attention. He said here, this is the beginning of a new era in Phoenix Suns basketball. We are committed to bringing in championship-level talent. I will be committed to bringing a championship-level culture both on and off the court, a culture centered around hard work, toughness, intelligence, and teamwork. And when we get out there and play, we're going to be scrappy as hell. Um, did I read too much into that thinking that uh, maybe Frank Vogel thought the team previously was maybe more finesse and soft and he wants to ch- kind of change the tune of that? That's possible. I mean, I never really pay much attention and take anything literally of what anybody says at an initial press conference as a head coach or for that matter, even a player. Uh, to me, the thing that stood out the most was when he was asked specifically about DeAndre Ayton. Uh, because there's been plenty of speculation locally and nationally that Aiton has played his last game as a son. Uh, you know, as I mentioned uh, during the sports, um, you know, that no trade clause, that's gone once we get to July. I mean, there's no such thing as the no trade clause anymore. Uh, that was just you know, basically booked in and you know, factored in for last year after they matched the offer sheet from the Pacers. So to me, uh, what he talked about, uh, said about Aiton, said I think he can be one of the best centers in the league. I think he's shown at times throughout his career. Uh, I'm intent on connecting with uh, him and restoring him to be an all-star level player. To me, that was the, the most telling thing I heard from yesterday. The rest of it, to me, is just a bunch of rhetoric and stuff that you can fill in the blank uh, for almost any coach in any spot, in uh- any sport. Certainly. I I have that on my list of takeaways as well. And so to kind of piggyback off of that, were we maybe looking at Monty Williams' dismissal wrong in that we didn't take into account enough of how much that relationship between him and DeAndre Ayton deteriorated and maybe got to a level of unfixable and that it was a big-time key to bring in somebody who they felt like could attempt to try to unlock that potential for Ayton. I'm really not sure uh, one way or the other. I don't know. Unfixable seems to be pretty strong of a term. It seemed like they were getting along fine uh, during the season. I know that he had some less time during that series against Denver, but you know, who's supposed to? You know, how do you guard Jokic? Ask Eric Spolster that right now, and you know, he was pretty much asked that and, uh, by Ramona Shelbourne. In the uh, post-game press conference on Sunday night, and he went off on her. He, by the way, apologized. I don't know if he apologized it was Monday or Tuesday, uh, but he apologized since we were last here together on Monday and talked about uh, how he went off on Ramona, which I thought was for no good reason. Uh, so, yeah, he did apologize uh, since then. But, 
you know, I think that uh, you, I, I don't think there was a whole lot of talk during the season, if any, uh, that there was a strained relationship between Aiton and and uh, and Williams. Yeah, you know, obviously the two seasons ago that didn't end well, and uh, with you know whatever was going on in that final game against the Mavericks, which I don't think we ever really learned exactly what happened between those two. Uh, but you know, I don't remember anything, a whole lot of drama during the season between those two. Uh, the other thing that kind of piggybacks as well off of uh, DeAndre Ayton and then also Frank Frank Vogel and kind of what he's known for in being a defensive guy. And so he was asked about him being a defensive guy and what excites him about the team's defensive p- potential here. And he said, I think uh, that he can be uh, – oh, I'm – I'm reading the wrong quote there. Uh, He goes on to say that it starts with the big fella. I've always had elite rim protectors. I have a scheme that I believe is the best in the league at tailoring these strengths into the group. I love that Devin and Kevin compete on the defensive end. KD even said, I can't wait to guard in your system. All our guys have to be two-way players. So starting there with, you know, Frank first identifying that it starts with DeAndre Ayton and being a rim protector and then that allows uh, everything else to kind of get set in place defensively. I totally disagree with this analysis by the new head coach. I think it all starts with perimeter defense and the, the problems that the Suns have had most, the most of the problems is, you know, basically other than Torrey Craig, they've been really poor stopping teams off the dribble. And sometimes Greg hasn't even been good at that. And most of the time when Aiton seems to be criticized at the defensive end, it's because the guards have basically been destroyed the last couple of years, including Booker, off the dribble and put Aiton into really you know, suspect situations that aren't totally his fault defensively. The other takeaway that I had here was, you know, uh, what he was going to say about Kevin Young and being retained on the staff and what his role was going to be. And uh, he said here that he has uh, not locked in roles for any of his assistants just yet, and it'll happen once he completes his entire staff. He did go on to say that he loved what Kevin Young uh, does from an offensive coordinator type of role in the last few years with the Suns, that he has a great deal of respect for his offensive mind we do know that uh in addition to kevin young david fisdale is going to be joining the bench and vogel called the offensive coaching staff that they're going to have some firepower from the coaching staff i didn't get to ask you about fisdale's emergence on uh the coaching staff here so how do you feel about kevin young david fisdale at least the two assistants that we know of right now well, if I knew Fisdale was still wanting to coach, which I thought was maybe a question before, I would have preferred, much preferred, they hire him instead of Frank Vogel as the head coach. Um, I, I guess why? What do you like about Fisdale? Far, he, he's a tremendous coach. He had probably, you know, I don't care what happens to you in New York with the Knicks, uh, but yeah, he certainly had a good connection with players. Uh, was a really good offensive schemer uh, as far as, uh, you know, what he did with Memphis. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still going to be – I'm still highly suspect, whether it's Frank Vogel or whoever you consider to be the greatest defensive coach in NBA history, whether this roster of players is going to really – whether anybody can get these guys to play above average defense. 
You know, it's interesting listening to the about 30-minute press conference introduction. You know, obviously, Frank uh, seemed to be pretty pretty clear that he wasn't going to be in the the personnel department and that was not going to be that that was going to be James Jones and, and everyone else on staff here but he did kind of mention a couple of different times that you know talent is important acquiring championship level talent so just kind of gleaning from some of that I think he realizes that there's going to have to be some improvements to the roster absolutely and that's uh Yet another reason why I'm still suspect as to why James Jones, uh, who I think did a really good job in his early days as the Suns general manager poking up for the Ryan McDonough mess, uh, that was a tough thing to do. And he thought he did really well the first couple of years. But I think that he's failed the last two postseasons after the last two years, excuse me, you know, really the last two years. I'm talking about the, the playoff loss to Milwaukee in the first round loss against the Mavericks the fact that they just did not in make obvious needed improvements at the defensive end of the floor those things didn't happen I think that that to me is the biggest reason the Suns fell short this past season and not because of Monty Williams and kind of to solidify the point about the talent side of things here Frank Vogel was specifically asked about what he learned from turning the Lakers into a champion in his first year as their head coach. And he said the first thing is to apply direct belief and know that if the talent is in place, you can galvanize a group and take the league by storm. So again, kind of focusing in there on talent. He did also mention as well that sometimes these things take a bit of luck. Injuries have to kind of break your way as well. So with all of this in mind, the 30 minutes or so that he uh, was introduced to the media, I think ultimately it's going to come down to that the proof will be in the pudding about working together to change the roster, get key pieces and figure out how to play championship basketball. I'm just kind of curious, uh, you know, how much we'll see stay the same with, with Kevin Young and the offensive side of things what sort of pieces they'll be able to bring aboard because they do have some limited structure and, and ability to get some pieces in addition to how significant the defense can change. True. Um, just to piggyback on the you know, his time with the Lakers, uh, you know, he mentioned the injury thing. Uh, I think that uh, you know, they might have won the championship anyway, but I don't think there were too many people before the lockout during the COVID year that were picking the Lakers to win the championship at the time that they shut the NBA shut down. They had the time off. He had a healthy LeBron. He had a healthy Anthony Davis, and that's the championship that the Lakers won while he was there. Two years later, roughly, he was out of work because it was just a you know, basically uh, a cohesive mess uh, or lack of cohesion, depending on how you want to phrase that. The ultimate oxymoron, a cohesive mess. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. We'll get into uh, some NBA finals. Copyright that. I'm going to need to <laughs> copyright should. that. Yeah. Uh, we usually have a, a word of the day, but maybe we could have a yeah. phrase of the day. Absolutely. That, that's certainly the case for the first you know, hour plus that I've been speaking today. <laughs> 
Uh, the NBA Finals, Game 3, Miami uh, and the Nuggets are in Miami tonight. We'll get into that on the other side of the break. We'll also take your phone calls at 10.30 and 11.15 today. 602-260-1060 is the number. But uh, NBA Finals talk is coming up next. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app powered by superbook sports bob kim kayla mortellaro with you up until noon today as we typically do mondays wednesdays thursdays and fridays so it's a game three tonight in miami the nuggets and the heat uh, so they're for the Nuggets here. They're coming off a game two that maybe metrically was their worst defensive game of the playoffs that included the heat shooting 49 percent from three. Uh, so when I kind of think about game two here and how to try to put this into context for game three, d- would we say that the Nuggets played well? And how far off of their best did they play in that game two? And conversely, would we say that the Heat maxed out their potential or were they as close to possible of maxing out their potential? Um, good question. Um, and let's start with the last part of that. And you'll probably have to remind me of the first part of that. Um, but the last part, I, w- I think that they may have, certainly offensively, they maxed out their potential. You know, I actually either didn't know or forgot that, you know, last year, last season, during the regular year, uh, the Heat, with basically the same players, like, led the three, led the NBA in three-point shooting. You know, this year they were obviously bad in three-point shooting, amongst the worst, depending on, you know, which you know, metric or, you know, stat you would believe in. But they weren't good at it. So it's kind of the same dudes – and you know, they've been really good in the postseason this year. And maybe it's not the worst thing, at least three-point percentage-wise, that Tyler Hero is not playing because he sometimes jacks up some shots. You just kind of go, what's he thinking? Uh, so there's that. So I think they maxed out. Uh, the first part of that question was about the effort from the Nuggets. Was, was that it? It I was just it. more along the lines of like, how well did the, we think they played? And, and yeah, we not very exactly. So how far off were they from their absolute best? Well, I think other than the, yeah, the what they had the thirty-one to twelve stretch or whatever it was, the yeah. ridiculous stretch at the end of the first quarter, start of the second quarter. I guess you can make a case that during that run, which included Jokic on the bench for some of that. Uh, getting some rest in the first half, you know, other, you know, during that stretch, they were really playing well, but uh, he, he, with Jokic on the floor or off, they were you know, playing at a high level. Uh, so other than that, I don't think there's any doubt that they didn't play anywhere near their best. 
So I think kind of with that in mind, with the the Heat as close to possible for maxing out for what they can be, the Nuggets being pretty far off from their bench or for their best, you kind of look at this game three and maybe think, well, do the Nuggets really have to make uh, massive amounts of adjustments? And so therefore, I guess, you know, depending upon what you think, yes or no here, maybe one potential adjustment would be that uh, Jokic maybe brings up the ball a little bit more frequently uh, to try to to get that transition game going to not allow Miami to get set into their zone defense. Or, uh, you know, with Murray usually bringing the ball up, he still does that, and they sit a, set a pick uh, either in the backcourt or early in the half-court offense and get Jimmy Butler off of Murray because I don't think Butler got nearly enough credit for what he did defensively in game number two. That's a good point as well. Um for the Heat, they will not have Tyler Hero, but Caleb Martin says that he is feeling better. Uh, so I guess we'll have to wait and see how much playing time Caleb Martin gets. Will he be back in the starting lineup? Or did Kevin Love do enough in game two? Uh, at least 22 minutes, I think he played. Wasn't uh, high efficiency shooting the ball, but he did have some good stretches of defense. Which hardly anybody's ever said for many years about Kevin Love as far as the defense part. Uh, so, yeah, I think he was effective enough that he's certainly going to play some minutes. Um, you know, so, you know, I would assume he still start. He starts again. Um, you know, Spolster is not like your typical uh, – maybe I'm stretching it a little bit with typical. But, uh, you know, a lot of coaches – when they go with the starting lineup and they win the game, they're reluctant to change for the next game, but Spolster doesn't seem to care about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't seem to care about maybe a lot of things that other other coaches potentially care about here. Um, so then the other player that I'm looking at for the Nuggets, and we've talked about him as maybe being the one that's had some of the inconsistencies or just pockets of really good play and, and then some disappearance, but certainly did not have a good game in game two for the Nuggets, and that's Michael Porter Jr., and he actually, in fact, saw his minutes cut because of it. So the questions are, will he bounce back here in game three on the road? I think all that, the description you had for Porter Jr. there in the postseason uh, is a completely accurate, uh, is totally accurate. I think that the, you know, we've mentioned more than occasionally, other than the one, he had like 17 points in the first quarter of one of those games against the Suns in, at Denver. Other than that, he really hasn't had a playoff performance that we would expect uh, for somebody with his shooting and streak shooting capabilities of having, and that hasn't occurred. We have also said, and I'm not the only person that has said this, uh, yeah, if he's not playing, if he's not scoring, uh, what else does he offer? Now, he's had some, some pretty good rebounding games, which is, uh, to me, surprising. So good for that. Uh, but, you know, he's not a good defender. Uh, so if he's not uh, you know, either scoring or doing something at the offensive, uh, you know, he's actually had a couple of assist games, too. So it if he's not doing something ball skill wise at the offensive end of the floor, you kind of have to get him off the floor. 
You know, I couldn't end this segment without a crazy stat here for you. We all know, you know, the stat about Jokic and his scoring versus assist ratio and whether or not that turns to wins and losses. But how about this from Miami in game two, that they assisted on 74% of its made buckets wow. in game two. That's just an astronomical percentage. That's tremendous. That's another. That's a stat we've heard regarding the Suns though, since Chris Paul has been here, especially in games that the Suns have won, whether it's regular season or postseason. They've had some insane. And Monty Williams used to refer to this uh, on a frequent basis the, about the assist. Uh, you know, basically, you know, made field goals and assist ratios, and so forth. And uh, you know, it's something because of Monty Williams talking about it so often that uh, something that uh, I've closely paid attention to, and uh, I'm guessing there may not be any stat that I've mentioned regarding the Suns more frequently than that in the last three years. Trying to figure out this Nuggets team on the road. Uh, I don't know if we can really take anything from this postseason or not because you look at how they've been able to to win key games here uh, on the road of late. They closed it out against the Suns on the road, but they did lose games three and four against the Suns on the road. And then they also had that game against the Timberwolves on the road as well. So uh, with all that kind of in mind it's the NBA finals. Like you're going to show up and you're going to play. That's true. They've won their last three road games. Uh, you know, the Suns close out game and then the two games that they played on the road against the Lakers. Uh, so it seems like it was a really long time ago when they were losing to the Timberwolves or for that matter, the two games here against Phoenix. It was an eternity ago. Maybe we were even in the month of April when that, when that took place. <laughs> we, we were for the, you know, the Timberwolves, right? I think that was in the month of April. Yeah, it was. So I think the yeah. other one was in the month of May. Uh, but right. that'll be tonight's game three, Miami and Denver from Miami tonight. And we'll answer the poll question around 1130 today, the KDOS1060.com poll question. But it's your turn if you'd like to join the program, 602-260-1060. If you have any comments, in regards to the Suns introducing Frank Vogel yesterday, the NBA Finals, we have plenty of uh, NFL topics to get into on the other side of the break. Just kind of some things that uh, caught my attention for the Cardinals in their final week of voluntary OTAs and some other NFL little nuggets. And uh, then, of course, we'll have the PGA Tour. They're at the RBC Canadian Open, which has taken a bit of a backseat to the news that tr that uh, got dumped on everyone yesterday. The explosive news with this new uh, formulation of PIF and uh, the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. So we'll get into all of that here a little bit later on in the show. But your turn, 602-260-1060. If you'd like to join the program, it is The Extra Point. KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. Ten thirty-six, right here on this Wednesday, June seventh edition of Extra Point KDOS AM ten sixty. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS ten sixty dot com and with the KDOS ten sixty app, powered by SuperBook Sports. As promised, your turn if you'd like it. 602-260-1060. So let's uh, pop on out to the KDOS hotline. It's Monroe and Glendale. Monroe, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I have a couple of comments. 
regarding Frank Vogel's press conference, and then I got a question or two for you on Leo. Okay. Uh, uh, so, regards to the comment, uh, I don't think there's a coach in the NBA that has a greater appreciation for Andre's eight and skill sets overall than Monty Williams. And my evidence is, with the exception of Jokic, every other big man is devalued except for whether they can do rim protecting. Otherwise, they, they, they cannot have a game centered around the interior, you know, the, the mid-range area. Uh, and so if Frank Vogel is going to value him, I think he's thinking more likely of turning him into a primary defensive guy with little regard for his offensive skills. And I might be reading into that, but that's what I think. And I think that um, you need a rim protector, Bob, precisely because you don't have perimeter defenders. That's why you need them. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. And I don't think there's any question that, you know, Aiton, no matter who the coach in that situation, um, he wasn't very good defensively at the U of A, but he was only there for one year. And Sean Miller was a defensive coach when, you know, obviously he was at the U of A. But I don't think there's any doubt that the biggest improvement Aiton has made defensively has been on screen roll situations. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he's done, you know, there's you know, many times, and we talked about this in the last three or four years, where you know, he's done a good job in the screen roll situations. The one thing that I don't think that he or really any other big man could have done much better is they got beat off the dribble so easily. Uh, and put him as kind of the, quote, last line of defense in bad situations, I'm not sure what he was supposed to do in a lot of those cases. Yeah, but even even if he knew what to do, the, the, that is a Band-Aid. The, band, the best defense You're right. is to stop him yep. from beating him off the dribble. Totally uh, agree. Uh, um, I had a thought about Leo. I don't know, Taylor, I don't know if you can address my thoughts. Uh, but and Bob, Bob, you're not really a golf guy. But but anyway, when I first this is heard Kayla's this answer. Live, <laughs> <laughs> when I first heard of this Liv thing, the first thing that came to my mind was, is Liv going to be to the PGA what the ABA was to the NBA? Mm. Ooh, or the AFL to the NFL? I don't know if that's going to turn out to be the case. It looks like it's on that path. I would say that the ABA completely changed the NBA from what it was. Well, if I'm, there's been so little detail as to what this formulation of the PGA Tour and uh, the DP World Tour and PIF are going to do to change golf, but I do think that we are headed for more globalization in golf that uh, there it may not happen next year, but certainly what is the the 
realm of professional golf going to look like in 10 years. And I think we could look back on this and saying this was absolutely the turning point in what professional golf looks like, how it's operated, uh, how you kind of qualify to be a part of professional golf, etc. So I think there's going to be some major changes moving forward. And it might be a slow process to get there. It might not happen overnight. Uh, but definitely uh, we could look back on that and have very similar things of the the formulation of live forced the hand of so many different things transpiring and then this whole group got together uh behind closed doors it seems like to put this together uh in the announcement yesterday i've heard i heard that players who turned out the money are now kicked off uh what do you think about that uh, so I, I think I, I can't speak for everybody, but I think that are pretty upset at Jay Monahan, the commissioner, because of a lot of things that he said and the convincing that he did to say the PGA Tour means something. There's history here. Uh, stand on the right side of things, drawing in uh, the 9-11 and morality. And he used everything that he could to say, this is why you should be over here on the PGA Tour, not over there on the Live Tour. And then he also had lots of different statements when it came out about how they're going to go about this elevated event process. And he used phrases like, this is the players tour. And he's giving ownership back to the players and how... um, Uh, they're in control of what they want, that this really hasn't been the case in the past, so that this they're going to have much more of a voice. And that was completely ramrodded by the fact that no current player knew that these talks were ongoing. Apparently, these talks have been ongoing for about six or seven weeks or so. Uh, Even Greg Norman, the face of Live Golf, had no idea. So all of this was going on uh, without the the quote-unquote key faces out in front knowing about it happening. So I think that that's where the frustration and anger is stemming from. Maybe, you know, maybe there are some frustrations about the money side of it, but I think just the hypocrisy is where a lot of the initial frustration came out, and especially since they found out about it, most of them, uh, through the news and on Twitter. Yeah, that's, that's, that is not indicative of somebody who cares about players in my view, but I don't play golf. I've never been on a golf course. Everything I know about golf, I learned from you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, hopefully I can keep uh, providing some good education, but I appreciate the questions as always, Monroe, and uh, for the time. Thank you, sir. Uh, once again, 602-260-1060 is the number. We continue to go out to the KDOS hotline and Vince in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob, would you consider uh, Vogel a recycled coach? That's a good question. Um, you know, you, you, I don't know. Is there like a, a limit of, uh, you know, a minimum or maximum limit of times you have to be a head coach to be considered recycled? Well, um, I'm, I mean, I'm talking about different teams over his career. If what this is his okay. fourth NBA yeah, team. I would, like, yeah, yeah I would maybe say re. I would maybe see reconstructed. Uh, oh. Instead of recycled, because like a lot of people kind of uh, thought he was reconstructed after he got the Lakers gig, and 
I'm in the minority there. I think that uh, it was kind of an incomplete thing when he was at the Lakers because he won with the in the bubble. And I think there's a whole lot of coaches that would have won in the bubble, and I'm not sure the Lakers would have won if it weren't for the bubble because they had a healthy LeBron and, and, and Davis throughout the postseason that year in the shortened postseason. That's the one time he won. And then within you know two calendar years, roughly, um, he's out of work because it was just a mess. Yeah. Well, I'm just looking at the past, and it seems like most of the coaches since about 2000, other than – uh, well, Dan Tony was here for five years. I think he'd been a coach somewhere else. Uh, yeah, Alvin was. Gentry was here two nine to two yeah. thirteen. Uh, he, I think, was a head coach somewhere he else. Definitely was in Detroit. Okay. I didn't, but then you have I Lindsey Hunter, Jeff Hornacek, Earl Watson, yeah. Jay Toronto, Igor, and then Monty oh, Williams. Oh God, Igor! Yeah, Igor yeah. just got another assistant job here in the last couple of days. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but I mean, I, I would is, I would really compare I would really compare how stupid the Suns have been to the rest of the league. However, okay, but I mean, it just seems when the, when Doc Rivers' name came up, he's coached a lot more places than Vogel, hasn't he? That's true. Okay, and he's also had a lot more success, in my opinion, than Vogel. And uh, yeah, I'm on the I'm I'm on the minority here too. I mean, I think I'm in the minority of disagreeing with the Vogel hiring. And I think uh, I'm clearly in the minority about Doc Rivers, who everybody in the world seems to want to bash. Uh, he's you know, lost all these, you know, game sevens in his career. He's also been the underdog in almost all of the game sevens that he's lost, and the majority of them for sure. Uh, and you know, he wasn't supposed to win most of the series that he lost. The majority yeah. of them, at least. Yeah. Uh, just a quick baseball question with the Diamondbacks and. Uh, on the road, they seem to be having Gonzo. Do you listen to the the play the, the TV play by play? Yeah, definitely. Uh, do, do you, I like Gonzo better than Brimley. Uh, well, I like Brimley a lot. I like them, I like them both. I mean, I think Gonzo does a really good job. I, you know, I think it's actually not a bad thing. Yeah, I don't know if it's the Brimley not doing. He certainly not doesn't seem to be traveling as much as he has in the past. So. I understand that is uh, you get a little up there in years. I'm totally, I, I have no, in, I have personally no interest in traveling anywhere, quite frankly. Uh, yeah. But, but I do think it's interesting to me, at least, uh, that you get differing opinions uh, from two guys that are obviously in the organization uh, and to some extent. Uh, so I think it's, uh, it, I think it's good. That we uh, well, it's just not the same stuff for 162 games from the same two people. Gonzo is younger, and when they go on the road, he's played in some of these parks and has that's true has memories of of his of hitting and the situation. And I think sometimes he makes a good projection on calling pitches uh, or what might be the expected pitch. Uh, well, that's true. I actually think that's Brenly's strength. Uh, is oh. uh, you know actually you know, anything to do with the you know, pitch, you know, the pitch and catch part of the uh, the game. Obviously, he was a catcher for the majority yeah. of his career. But I think that's actually the one thing that Brenly does the best. Well, uh, I I guess it's the best of both worlds because it seems like yeah, it's maybe good. It's, maybe with age, Brenly's cutting back a little bit and. And yeah, 
Gonzo seems to be available. I don't know. Yeah, like uh, I said, I think it's a good thing that we get a differing opinion. Uh, it's not. Yeah, there's no question that he's. Both of them are effective and I think knowledgeable. And uh, I pay attention to what they say. And you know, I've written stuff down after what both of them have said. And that kind of a, is a barometer for me of whether somebody's good at what they're doing or not as far as television goes, whether it's a commentator or whoever. Uh, there's plenty of announcers. There's guys I don't even listen to anymore. I've put on mute like Barkley, for instance, uh, that I don't ever write anything about what they're saying. As always, we appreciate the calls. 602-260-1060. We'll take calls again around 1115. On the other side of the break, a little bit more PGA Tour conversation. It's the RBC Canadian Open. We'll try to figure out what to do. Plus, there's going to be a $50 gift certificate to Putting World available as well. It's all happening next as we wrap up Hour 1. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kemp's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Points. We wrap up our number one on this Wednesday, June 7th. Bob Cam, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. You know about our friends Putting World, located in Scottsdale, 16259 North Scottsdale Road. Have you visited them yet? They're open Sunday through Thursday, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Friday and Saturday, 10 a.m. to midnight. Great food and drinks at Bar 19. You can get help with your putting stroke. Get fit in to the right putter with the performance studios and all the technology and coaches available to you. Plus, as we are starting to get into the hotter portion of the months, there's something for you to do inside while still playing some golf over at Putting World. Uh, So visit them at puttingworld.com. The PGA Tour is at the RBC Canadian Open, and it is certainly being overshadowed this week by the merger announcement yesterday, which caught everyone by surprise. Prize, some kind of, I guess, fundamental things to put put in place here as we all try to navigate what this actually means. The press release that came out indicated that the PGA Tour and Live Golf would combine operations to a yet-to-be-named worldwide golf entity, and that entity is going to be uh, PIF and it's going to be the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. The agreement also ends litigation between the two tours, PGA Tour and Live Golf, and also uh, it provides a pathway for the players who defected to join Live to rejoin the PGA Tour. So there's still some questions that I have that have yet to be answered here, and hopefully over time we do get some clarification as to what's going to happen in the professional golf world, uh, that what led to this agreement. Um, Who called who to start talks? Because at no point did you think the way that each side were speaking about one another through public channels that we were going to get to this point. So so who, uh, I guess, kind of put down the gloves and picked up the phone first? Um, in addition to this here, players on the PGA Tour you, were... I'm t- I apologize yeah. to interrupt, but do you have a guess on who called who first? Ooh. So th- this is what I don't know, because in the litigation process, who was winning? 
Was the PGA Tour winning? Were they hemorrhaging money trying to pay for the litigation fees? Were they really concerned about the potential DOJ investigation that was on the horizon? Uh, PIF was also subject to discovery. Um, In addition to that, you had the fact that the Live Tour was getting virtually no ratings on the CW. So... They also had this team concept, if you will, that the idea behind it was that major corporations were going to come in and sponsor the teams, and none of that was transpiring. So maybe it was both. Maybe it was one or the other that said, we don't want certain things to get out to the public, so let's come together on this. Um, So I'm not sure. I I think I want to know who was winning those litigation process, and then the other side maybe is the one who called. Plus, how many dollars are we don't know what what the investment level is from PIF at the moment. So money seems to always be talking and how much was it that uh, talked in this particular case. Um, so my other question here is, will the Live Tour even exist next year? It looks like they're going to finish out what they're doing for this season, but will it even exist next year? Um, and as I mentioned to Monroe, I think this just brings about the globalization of golf. And uh, if PIF is not done, how much more are they going to engulf? How much more are they going to envelop from the professional golf ranks? And how much more of golf wants to kind of be swallowed up, if you will? So I'm very curious to see how this kind of all unfolds. When it comes to the RBC Canadian Open, it's at Oakdale Golf and Country Club. It's a par 72, 7,264 yards, bent grass greens. It's the first time that this event has been held at this golf course. There's plenty of rich history for the RBC Canadian Open, but it rotates golf courses, and this happens to be the first time it's ever been played here. So we have absolutely no data to tell us, you know, who kind of is going to perform well here. So looking into things here, I'm looking at total driving. I'm looking at strokes gained with the wedges. And I'm also looking at par five scoring because it is such a short golf course. I'm thinking someone is going to go really, really low this week to win this golf tournament. Um, Here's what we're doing. We're going light this week because we had success last week and gearing up for the U.S. Open. I have to support a fellow Vandal, top 40, plus 240, Aaron Cockerell. He's a he's a Canadian. He's a fellow Vandal. And he's been playing on the DP World Tour, and it's been going pretty well for him. In his last couple of starts, a T10, a T16, a T21, a second, and a T13. So let's go Vandals with Aaron Cockerell. A top 20 at plus 310 and Nikolai Hogard. And we're also going head-to-head. Tyrrell Hatton plus 120 over Rory McIlroy. Justin Rose plus 120 over Cameron Young. And uh, we're wrapping things up here, so I'm going to make you wait just a little bit longer for Putting World. Uh, So we'll get into that in hour number two, which is coming up next.